Underwriting for AutoLine this week, provided by... <laughs> Cars have always captured our imagination. What they look like, how they move, and the places they take us. And because you've always loved them, you deserve to love the experience of buying them. From the Auto Line Studios, here is your host, John McElroy. Want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week, where the discussion is all going to be about automotive retailing. Man, I have not seen so much action in this segment in my entire career. And I've got three experts to talk about what's going on in that segment, including Rob Koenig, the president of Penske Automotive, Katie Coleman, the co-owner of Sellers Automotive Group, and Doug Fox, the president of Ann Arbor Automotive. And great to have all three of you here on the show today. Oh, thanks thank for having us. Rob, as I said in, in the intro there, I've never seen so much action revolving around automotive retail. We saw Warren Buffett step in not too uh, long ago, bought out the Van Tile Group, a very big uh, automotive retail group. Uh, now there's word that George Soros, another billionaire investor, is nosing around as to what he can do in this sector. Sector, What's going on here? Why so much interest in automotive retailing right now? Well, how do you read it? Well, and from our perspective, I think it is a validation of sort of what we've been. You know, another billionaire around is Roger Penske. He's been in this business for quite some time, and, um, and it's done quite well for us. I mean, if you look at our business, back in, you know, 2000, we were doing about a billion three in revenue. Today, we're trending towards $20 billion. And so the opportunity for growth, if you really want to invest in growth businesses, I think it's a terrific business, and I think it's something that Warren Buffett would be very, very interested in and demonstrated that. It, you know, you look at the industry in the United States, it is 92% of the industry is unconsolidated. Only 8% is consolidated. And then that excludes the worldwide footprint. You know, we have a very big portion of our business in Europe. It, it too is changing and restructuring and there's consolidation opportunities, not to mention the BRIC countries that you see with China and Brazil and, 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 and India. So it is, um, it, 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 you know, you get somebody like Warren Buffett who has a nice global view or Soros, uh, there's big opportunity in the U.S. And there's big opportunity, in my view, on a worldwide basis, which they're perfectly well suited to, to take advantage of. Yeah. Talk about consolidation. Katie, you're a, a, an example of exactly yeah. that taking place, right? I really am. Um, I was a single point dealer for a long time. I worked for 22 years and learned the business from my dad. And that was when there weren't any computers. <laughs> now, you know, obviously the industry has changed completely. But um, about a year ago, I decided to go into partnership. And really because I feel that a single point dealer is going to have a harder and harder time you know, making it with all the expenses and costs and things that you have to, to manage as a single point. So I went into partnership and now I'm co-owner of the auto group. And you're right, that's, that's a change, so. So uh, by combining dealerships, you can what? Uh, consolidate all the back office operations, so to speak? Yeah, I think the, the, the you know, low hanging fruit is, is back office and, and then some of the contracts that you can renegotiate and get better you know, pricing because now you're doing it for four stores and, and those kinds of things. But that, that's just one of the um, benefits. But really it's, um, you can see growth for, for our uh, managers. You know, if you're at a single point, you've had a manager for 20 years, 30 years, you know, there's no room for other good talent to come up. So with an auto group, we've been able to bubble up some of that 
you know, better talent and, and show them some uh, mobility for their careers. And, and that's also been one of the benefits. Doug, how do you see all the consolidation? Well, I, I started out like Katie's dad uh, with a single point. And uh, early in the 90s, I kind of came to the decision that uh, if I was not to become a dinosaur, I needed to add more points, which we've done, and successfully so. But I think it's tougher and tougher today mm -hmm. for someone to, uh, with the barriers to entry, with financing and floor plan and bank lines, of all the different things uh, that you need to provide for the uh, franchise or the manufacturer, uh, it's tougher and tougher for someone to break into this business as a single point dealer. So those points are being gobbled up uh, in many cases uh, yep. by the big guys and so it'll, it'll be pretty interesting I think. Yeah. You're going to add there, Rob? I, I, I do. I think Katie made a great point. It, you know, this business is all about people. It is all about people. And yeah. the, your, the ability to attract you know, really talented people, especially talented young people, into the business means you have to hand them a career. Yeah. And you know, when you have, a, you have a business like ours, which you can develop a career and you can have bigger and bigger and bigger stores or on a smaller basis, you know, what Katie's doing, what Doug's doing. I mean, that's terrific because then you can bring in a new talent and a new breed. And you have to do that today, too, because, you know, the younger generation, the millennials, are really looking for a different experience. And, and you, have to, you have to be able to offer that career opportunity. So where's yeah. it all going, all this consolidation? Are we going to end up like we have with the car companies, just, you know, a couple of handfuls here and there? How, how do you see it? I think it, it, it will obviously, you know, people will group together or, you know, be bought out, but I was just going to comment that I thought, you know, Soros and, and Buffett getting in increases multiples for people. I mean, I think it's all a good thing. I, I don't see it as, as necessarily bad. I think that um, a single point dealer, you know, to think that they're going to survive that way for into the future, like you said, I didn't want to be the dinosaur either, and I didn't want to be bought out. I wanted to still be active in this business. So I went for forming a group, which I think was a unique, um, you know, kind of solution to that. But um, I don't know where it's going to end up, but I, I, I do think there'll be less and less single points. I think there'll always be markets for single points in smaller uh, that's groups. True. Uh, that is more major, rural that is, operations. In major, yeah. markets, yes. in major markets, this is where you'll really see yep, the consolidation. That is a good point. But there'll always be a place, I think, for that. You, you, you still need stores you know, throughout the country and service facilities and that sort of thing. Warren Buffett and George Soros, both obviously very successful investors, mm -hmm. tend to look very long term as well. They typically do not make, you know, just quick investments and they're out there. Doesn't that pretend that probably other investors are going to say, hey, wait a minute, yeah. if Soros and Buffett are looking into this, we got to get in on too. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I think, I think you're probably seeing that, you know. When Buffett made the announcement, you know, my phone started ringing. What, what, what did they say? <laughs> or talked to some of the analysts in the community, and their phone's ringing even more, saying, well, you know, what, what, what is going on? You know, the other thing about consolidation, too, is um, you, the manufacturers are demanding more and more and more from a facility perspective and yes. from a customer experience perspective, and that gets expensive, very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. And I think it is more and more difficult for the um, individual entrepreneur to be able to invest in the kind of dollars that the manufacturers are looking for. And so when you have um, companies like ours or like you have um, with, with Warren Buffett, 
you're able to do that. And I think Warren Buffett, too, brings a very interesting dynamic because he is a long-term investor. Um, manufacturers like that. What they don't like is they don't like the typical private equity investment that is three to five years because they like predictability and ownership. And so I think, I think Warren Buffett's investment will be viewed, or if it, and probably is being viewed positively by the manufacturers because he is long-term and he's willing to make the investment, he's willing to stay in, and he, they can have some predictability and dependability in management. Mm -hmm. The automotive business is changing a lot. Not only are the cars changing, electrics, plug-ins, fuel cells, maybe even this new one called a flow cell. But uh, along with that is this whole concept of car sharing, car uh, ride sharing, and, and one day autonomous cars as well. Could this be a reason that the Buffets and the Soroses are, are interested in getting on? But Doug, why don't we start with you? Have, have you thought much about this car sharing thing and what it might lead to well, for automotive retailers? Sure, sure. I mean, I think it's a it's an incredible concept. I mean, you see uh, in large urban areas uh, these little cars that you can jump into and go and par zip cars and that sort of thing. Um, you've, you've also have the. Uh, I mean, in Michigan, we don't even have hove lanes yet. I mean, it would be nice yeah. to see a hove lane here. I mean, that would certainly in, uh, encourage people to at least uh, group together when they go to work, that sort of thing. But I think there's definitely a, a place for it. However, we still like independent transportation. Everyone likes to go where they want to go, when they want to go. Um, so there's always a place, I think, to own a car, maybe multiple cars. Uh, I know where I live, my gosh, there isn't enough room in some of the driveways. The kids have to park on the streets. So um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But there's certainly a place for it. Yeah, I, I don't know where that'll you know, leave us, but um, certainly as an option, I think it's important to look at as, as urban centers you know, become larger and larger. I think that um, you know, parking, I mean, how, how is that going to be handled in, in the larger cities? I think we're going to have to look at solutions. Um, but I think it'd be you know, interesting to see what happens. I, I agree with Doug that you know, people still want to drive their own car and get somewhere that they want to go. I think that would be tough to take away completely, but um, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think car sharing and, and Uber, you know, sort of a similar concept. You know, you hear a lot of talk about, well, the millennials don't even want a car anymore. That's not true. <laughs> I think Doug's exactly right. They, everybody wants their own me method of transportation. Now, maybe, maybe it's a different investment in the car or, or, or not, but um, car sharing has its place. And, and you see it in urban areas, New York City, you see it in you know, some California college campuses is another place where you're seeing a lot of, of car sharing. Um, you know, as dealers, we sell cars to, you know, companies that buy cars for car sharing or to people who want to drive them independently. So I think um, it, it, it doesn't bother us who's buying them. I mean, a, a materially different number would, of course, bug us, but I just don't see that on the horizon with a growing population and everybody liking their form of transportation. Yeah, one thing I've thought is car sharing really catches on in a way and you want to provide mobility services, and almost all the car companies are looking into this, you're going to need to have all kinds of cars in inventory that people can readily access, which means that not only you're going to have to have bunches of cars, you're going to have to have acres to park them on, you're going to have to have all kinds of garages to be able to maintain them and keep them in service, and it sounds to me like automotive retailers are brilliantly positioned if this really catches on. And that, that's why I'm wondering if Soros and Buffett are really starting to look into automotive retail, seeing that it's well positioned for the future. 
my view is is that they see the the strength and the basics of the business as it exists today and that look at those may be opportunities and I don't think you have to look very far to see some great brands that have gone away or great industries have gone away because of technology changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think you have to look forward. But I, th- I think they see the, the strength and the consolidation opportunity, the strength and the cash flow of the business and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the growth opportunities for the business. Now, they might be on the forefront and be more thoughtful about how the business is going to evolve, and that may be one metric for the long term. But, but I think their basic tenet for investing is the way the business exists today. Talk about brands that have gone away. What about brands coming into the business? What do y'all make of Apple uh, reportedly being involved in developing a car? What, what does that pretend where all of a sudden Silicon Valley is getting in on the business and Google, of course, being at the forefront of autonomous car technology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little scary. I mean, I'm not sure where it's going to go. I, I, I imagine everyone wants in. It's a good industry to be in. So, um you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how it all works out. I, I, I'm glad we have strong state franchise laws right now. Um, I know it's being challenged right now by Tesla, things like Tesla, but uh, I don't know what Apple Car, what their end game is. So it'll be interesting to see. It will be, and I want to get into Tesla in a minute. Yeah, okay. Any other thoughts on uh, Apple getting into the business, if they are? I mean, they haven't really come out and said that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I think that um, Apple had, probably has a technology that a lot of today's millennials probably want to see inside cars. Uh, it, you know, to start a car from scratch, be able to build the distribution network and build the base and build the service network and everything else you need to do is not easy. Just ask the Chinese. They've been trying to get into, the, into this country for years and years and years. And, that, you know, there are just inherent barriers to entry in terms of the kind of investment you have to make. Apple would have that issue also. But never say never. I don't think it's going to be I don't think it's going to be in five years that we're going to see a whole, you know, uh, Apple distribution network. But. But, 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 but you never, I mean, you never know. Things change quickly if you're not focused on it. You never know. So. Yeah, I think Rob makes, makes the point, and, and the Chinese is exactly the answer. I mean, everybody eight, ten years ago said, oh, the Chinese, they're, they're right on our shores. They're here. Well, they're still not here. Mm-hmm. And it's because of exactly what Rob says, those barriers to entry, developing that distribution network. Um, now, there may have been some opportunities back in 08, 09 with the looming bankruptcies of maybe picking up a channel and coming on instantly, but that didn't happen. So, well, it did kind of with Volvo, I guess. It did, right. So (laughs) we'll have to see how that works out. And and you're right. Look, uh, to break into the American market, it's the hardest market in the world to break into. There's no question about it. And uh, and I say that because there's already Chinese brands in the in Europe. You can, you can buy Chinese vehicles, mm-hmm. not here yet. They haven't quite cracked the code in mm-hmm. when it comes to emissions and safety standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But would you take a Chinese franchise if you thought it looked good? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Katie. Yeah. Rob. You too. Uh, I mean, yeah. It depends on the right one. You know, you have, go back to when Hyundai came into the into the country, and look how long it took for the dealer network to really grow and to really be profitable. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, as dealers, it's not just selling the car where you're making money. As a matter of fact, it's that service, and it takes yeah. a long time to build those units in operation where you can actually have a profitable dealer opera- <laughs> uh, operation. That's why it is it is so difficult to to penetrate the market because it, it takes quite some time to develop a profitable dealer chain. Of course, Tesla's tried to pull an end run around you guys. And, uh, you know, everybody I talk to that is not an automotive retailer says, what's wrong with that? Why can't they go and just sell direct if that's the way they want to? So I'm asking you, why, what's wrong with that? Why can't they just sell direct? I'll start. Uh, go ahead, else. Katie, you're <laughs> up me. first. Um, 
really, I feel like a dealership in a community is a large tax base. It's a large employer. It supports the little league teams. It supports so many small charities. Um, I don't think that people really understand what getting rid of something like that may mean. Um, I know it wouldn't be you know, right away with somebody like Tesla coming in, but it just worries me long term. The investment that we put into our stores uh, is huge. You know, it, it's, it's millions of dollars that we invest. And if somebody can come in and not have to do that, and, and what does that mean for, let's say, GM putting a factory store near a store that's franchised? I just don't know what it leads to. So it is a little worrisome that way. Um, competition is good. I can understand why the, the regular you know, consumer doesn't quite understand why a dealer would be concerned about it, but um, I do think it's a concern. I think it's a concern for them whether they know it or not. I think there are real world consequences to the consumer if something, heaven forbid, should happen to that manufacturer. Yeah. Uh, anyone who owns a Fisker today is probably pretty doggone happy that they had a dealer network because there's still some place to go to have that vehicle serviced. And uh, that is an incredibly important component to what we provide. Uh, we're there, we're the investor, we're the brick and mortar that will be there yeah. uh, when that car needs to be repaired, uh, a warranty issue, a recall, that sort of thing. If that manufacturer goes away and they were also the distribution, uh, the retail side of the network, they're gone. I think that's exactly right. I mean, but we had a Fisker store in, in Scottsdale, and we, we opened it just before the bankruptcy was filed. We shut it down. We had six cars. I mean, we bought the cars back, you know, essentially because it wasn't, you know, we didn't want to provide service. Customer really didn't want them after they were bankrupt. But, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that from a public policy perspective, that's an incredibly persuasive argument that is why you should have it is because you really do. We, we have a customer base. We have a dealership network. We have service we can provide. We can buy the car back. We're not gone the next day. The other thing, too, is, um, you know, you look around the world. I mean, we have a franchise system here. But you go to Europe or you go to China or you go, you go anywhere around the world, and they still mostly, the most successful car companies have independent dealers. May, they may not have franchise protection in the true sense. They have different things like block exemption in Europe and some of the other laws. But it is... Um, that, that, that works. It's very, very successful. And, yeah. and the one country I think is a very difficult country to retail in is, is Germany. And it, Germany, because they have many, you know, company owner called Niederlassen's factory owned stores. And um, they just don't operate the company, they don't operate the dealership or treat the customer the way I think customers are expected to. I think the entrepreneurial aspect of the dealership yeah. really works very, very well. I think we let Tesla sort of run its course, see if it's successful, but I'm not. Not, I'm, I'm actually not afraid of it. I think even if they had some success, I think that the franchise system and the, the customers look to that as sort of, you know, neighborhood dealer is, is here to stay. Well, you know, uh, I think Mike Jackson, uh, the CEO of AutoNation, another big uh, automotive retail group, had a great line. He said, I have nothing against Fisker wanting to sell direct, nothing at all. But when they decide that they want a profitable, efficient way of distributing their cars, they're going to come to us. He's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, talking about buying a car, one of the biggest complaints, and you all know this better than I do, is how long it takes to buy a car. You can be at, at your stores for hours. You know, I, I can get online, I can buy a toaster from Amazon like that, and it's going to get shipped to me. And I, I, I know there's a lot of regulation, but, you know, Rob, let's start with you on that. 
How big of an issue is this and what can be done? Yeah, it, I mean, it is, I, I think that's sort of the flavor of the day. Everybody talks about online buying now and whether, you know, in some companies have come out and said, you can buy a car online from us. Well, you really can't yet. I mean, let's say you, you won't be able to, but you can't yet because of the regulation issues and then the interfaces and, and, with uh, the- Let me just jump in to point out there are 85 federal regulations yeah. regulating how you have well, all the paperwork right, to go right, through right, to right, buy a car. Right, right, and right. then there might even be some state and local right, ones, right, too. Right, right, right. But, um, but, but, and so I think eventually, I think someday everything will, you, you'll be able to do it. It'll be automated. I and mean, I think you'll still have the connection with the dealer because you'll have to take delivery and you'll have to have the, um, and the uh, service and everything else. But um, shortening that period in the dealer is an objective of ours. And the tools are available now. And, uh, and and we're very, very active in it. I mean, we, you know, you want to be able to do as much of the transaction as you can online, which is a substantial portion of the transaction, and then even, in, you know, email them or Federal Express or something the entire package and have them come in, so that the time the dealer is shortened dramatically as it comes to filling out the paperwork and doing everything else you need to do, and where you really spend the time, because I don't think customers want to leave the dealer really quick. I think they want to be there, but they want to understand that car. Especially yeah. in today's world where, um, you, you know, it's so complicated. They want to have a delivery specialist or a product specialist walk them through how does my radio work, how does the nav system work, how do I interface with my, t- my, my telephone. It, it, you know, that, that's really where the customer wants to spend the time. And I think we as dealers have to be able to figure out how to devote our time towards that and less time towards sort of the painful, burdensome process of, of buying and financing a car. Yeah. We're working on something that we're really excited about called Your Online Dealer. So we have a website, youronlinedealer.com, and we're creating a virtual showroom experience, and we're using live auto guides to have the consumer be able to have that experience of being in the showroom, but do it from their computer so that they can get through as many of the process pieces of, of being in the showroom online as possible, as many as they would like to. It's, it's, it's listen, we still want them coming into our showroom and, and we're there and we've got lots, you know, lots of traffic, but we also realize how busy everyone is. So we're trying to look at it like some of the pieces that would, you know, take their time in the showroom, they could do online with us. And the next step for us would be looking at e-signing and, and getting to those next steps that Doug was talking about. But I think it will be the way of the future. And, you know, it's exciting. I mean, really, it's something new and different to try to work towards. Um, the consumer just wants to, to have things be shorter and, and they've got a busier schedule. So we're trying to accommodate that. I think what Katie's doing is really cutting edge. We're, we're watching it very closely. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, I think we're all moving in that direction. And it's, it, it already is happening with the digital age and all the technology that's available to the consumer today. I mean, they can, they can look at our inventory. They can select a vehicle. We know they've narrowed their search down dramatically more today than it was 20 years ago. When they come through the across the threshold today, they're pretty well narrowed down to what they want. There's one component, though, that that kind of is the gray area, that it's kind of like the clinical side of medicine. I don't know how you could ever eliminate that side of examining the patient and finding out what's wrong, and we need to do that with trade-ins. I mean, you, you have to drive that. Once you take in a few trades with bad transmissions because you didn't drive them, you know you have to drive them. Mm-hmm. And that's the entrepreneurial side of our business, the hands-on side of the business that I don't know how that ever goes away. But certainly the everything you're doing yeah. leading up to that can be be, and we can range them online yeah. on the it, train. It can give just them, shorten them the time frame that it takes for, for the consumer once they're on site 
Um, and, and that's what you're really talking about, I believe. Uh, but you're right, the trade-in is tough. Um, we're, we're, we do have a, an ability to do that on our youronlinedealer.com site. Um, we do have some disclaimers that say, you know, once you get there, we have to look it over. We have to make sure that sure. it's everything you said, including give it a little test drive. Mm -hmm. But if that all adds up, then, you know, your number that we gave you online is the number we'll give you. So, Well, as you all know, Buying a new car is one of the most exciting things that people go through. Even if they're buying a new used car, right. it's just really fun to get a new set of wheels. And, and what I've been told is once that buying process goes past the 90-minute mark, all the excitement has been sucked yeah. out of that process of, sure. of actually yeah. getting it. Now, they'll get excited again when they start to drive home, but it's like, you know, you, you have this, yeah. like, sugar peak and drop, you know. You can uh, see it. Their eyes glaze yeah. over. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Just you lose, you start losing them. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I think uh, what you're all working on here is, is can only be good music to the, sure. the consumer's uh, eyes and ears. Hey, uh, I, I wanted to sound you guys out on this. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, journalist at Ward's Auto Dealer, uh, Steve Finley, has got a column running right now. Should we change the name car dealer? Should we no longer call them dealers? Should we come up with, because his point is, and I, it kind of rings true to me, when you call somebody a dealer, it's like, you know, it's, well, we call them drug dealers, and I know you guys aren't dealing with <laughs> drugs, I know that. No, but, I was thinking that uh, too, though. But is, is that some of the negative connotation? Well, Katie, what do you think? I wouldn't mind it at all. I mean, I think being being called retailers would be fantastic because I think that we are retailers um, at heart and, and we're there to facilitate a really exciting, like you said, buying a new car should be really exciting. And it used to be and it needs to be again. And so I think a dealer might be viewed, I think, you know, like you said, drug dealer or something else. And, and, and we're really doing something really important to help people with their transportation needs. And, and so I don't want anything negative associated with that. So, Doug, your thoughts? I, I, I agree. I think that uh, probably a dealer connotes, you know, negative thinking. And, and as we move towards more of a virtual world with our showrooms and everything else that we're doing, uh, it only makes sense to probably use another term. Maybe it's retailer. I can't come up with a better idea. So, but I, I think it's we're heading probably. Yeah, I think fresh. so too. We, we we've called ourselves an automotive retail consolidator for quite some time. So it's we've moved away from the the dealer. You know, as you get, a, I agree completely. I mean, as you get as we became a big big business. The concept of dealer is different than what we really are. We truly are retailers of, 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 of cars as well as a few other things. So, Hey, I want to thank you all for coming in today. This has been a great discussion. You know, we've covered the, the map here with you know, big money coming into this, uh, the future of car sharing and where that may all go on. Apple, Tesla, the whole Silicon Valley interest in, in your space. I think it's fascinating. So Rob Kernick from Penske Automotive, Katie Coleman from Sellers Auto Group, Doug Fox from Ann Arbor Automotive. Thanks all. Thank you all for coming on AutoLine this week. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks thank for having you. us. Great. Yeah. And of course, I've got to thank all of you for having tuned in. Underwriting for AutoLine this week has been provided by... People are going to have apprehensions about going into the dealership because it's the largest purchase they're going to make in their lifetime next to their house. So they have to figure, can I afford this? True Car gets to the heart of the matter. Within 60 seconds, you're going to find out what the average customer is paying for that car. True Car helps you enjoy the car buying process because you're spending less time negotiating price. You're going to find yourself focusing on what's the right car for you and have a lot of fun with that. Experience a whole new way to buy a car. 
with TrueCar.